welcome to Made in India SLP podcast with your host Kinari and Rabab. Welcome to Made in India SLP everyone. In today's episode we will be conversing with Dr. Sivapriya Santanam, an experienced clinician, professor and researcher in the field of communication sciences and disorders. Dr. Santanam is our only guest speaker so far who is doing a part 2 also and in the last episode she gave us some great information on working with children on the autism spectrum so this week we are going to focus and discuss more about adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum so rabab why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest for today definitely it is my honor to introduce dr santanam she's an assistant professor in the department of speech language hearing sciences at metropolitan state university of denver she currently directs the integrated supports for students with autism in college program at her university where she provides both one on one and group based support for autistic young adults or should i say young adults with autism She has worked in a variety of clinical settings including early intervention, home-based settings, schools, children's hospital in Colorado, as well as in university settings conducting autism diagnostic evaluations as well as intervention. Dr. Santanam's research broadly focuses on developing, implementing as well as evaluating strength-based and support-based interventions for adults on the autism spectrum and promoting equity in access to communication for children on the autism spectrum, their families, as well as focusing on diverse cultural and linguistic backgrounds. Dr. Santanam has co-authored several peer-reviewed articles on assessment and intervention considerations for children and young adults on the autism spectrum she serves on the cultural and linguistic diversity committee of the international society for autism research and in other professional and community based organizations that focus on supporting individuals with autism dr santanam completed her bachelor's and master's degree in audiology and speech language pathology from Sri Ramchandra Institute of Higher Education and Research in Chennai, India and her doctorate in communication sciences and disorders with a special focus in autism spectrum disorders from Bowling Green State University Ohio in the United States of America she then went on to complete her interdisciplinary postdoctoral work at the University of Colorado Medical Campus. Dr. Santanam, it's great to have you on our show. Welcome. So as we explore this topic, Dr. Santanam, what are some differences in the characteristics between autistic adolescents and autistic adults as compared to the children? Oh, great question. So um, I'm glad we're talking about adolescents and adults because we know very very less about adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum as professionals and because we know less we are not able to provide the right kind of supports for the adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum and i think so there's just so much more for us to learn about this age group between children and adults i think one of the main difference or even adolescents one of the main difference 
is just the increase in social demands. So this happens not just for autistic people, it happens for everyone else who are um, non-autistic as well. One huge change that happens is the increase in um, social demands. This includes, you know, what parents expect out of children on the autism spectrum as they grow older, what peers and teachers and other social connections expect from children as they grow older. The second huge difference is changes in communication. Oftentimes, we see that many children on the autism spectrum may not speak fluently or may not speak in sentences until they're about three or four. But the older they get, about 60 to 70% of children on the autism spectrum begin to speak in sentences, engage in conversations. They can explain a story. They can read and write. They can do all the things that that non-autistic children can do. So this is a huge change that happens. In terms of interests, those change as well over time. As a child, what activities the child has been interested looks very different from the activities that the child is interested as as he or she grows older. Now, uh, there are two important other factors that we need to discuss here. One is called camouflaging or passing. What this means is hiding the autistic traits or trying to come across as a person who is not on the autism spectrum. This becomes more of a need um, for growing children and adults on the autism spectrum. And not everybody does this. But there are people, there are many, many, especially more girls than boys on the autism spectrum who try to come across as non-autistic. This happens, again, because of the fear of being perceived differently, the fear of not being liked by peers, and because they want to conform to the societal social pressures. And so camouflaging is a huge characteristic, I would say, as children grow older, they begin to have this need to want to hide their autistic traits and come across as a non-autistic person. The other aspect that changes over time is mental health. A lot of adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum experience mental health challenges that can be their increased levels of anxiety, um, depression, um, high levels of stress. These, these are very common. About 75% of adults on the autism spectrum experience some sort of mental health um, challenge. So these change with time as children grow older. Dr. Santanam, I appreciate you talking about mental health issues because that's something I feel that we don't look at hard enough as you know we should. Mm-hmm. Mental health makes such a big difference in almost everything. So thank you for bringing that up. Going off that, due to mental health issues and many other difficulties, the future can be a little uncertain for autistic adolescents and adults. I think this is when having a transition plan can be very beneficial. Can you give us your take on what is transition planning and why it is of such vital importance for adolescents on the autism spectrum? Absolutely. 
transition planning can happen anytime. We can start transition planning at preschool for a child who's transitioning into kindergarten or first grade or first standard, as we say in India. And we can start transition planning for a child who's going from, say, middle school to high school, same way from high school to college. What is important is transition planning needs to happen very early. We often wait until the child is out of school at 16 or 17 or 18. And that's sometimes a little difficult to know where to go and how to plan the future for the child. Um, One thing that I encourage parents to do is start planning transition out of high school or out of school as early as 12 years. You don't have to figure out what job or which university the child needs to go to, but I think it's important to start paying attention to the child's interests. Often interests can become a, a very good hobby, and sometimes hobbies can also become a job in the future. I encourage parents to start paying attention to what the child is interested in, whether sports or is it manufacturing something? Is it taking things apart and putting it together? Is it music? Whatever the child is interested in, you know, try to develop that and focus a lot of energy on making that skill something that the child will enjoy doing in his or her lifetime. Now, the transition plan itself has to be quite individualized and has to be quite person-centered, which what I mean by that is it cannot be one cookie cutter model of transition plan that works for everyone. It has to be customized and tailored to each child and each parent and, and what resources that family has. I had a family who, where the child had an uncle who had his own company where he was making furniture and designing furniture. And so this boy loved software. And so what he did is he learned how to design furniture using different software tools. And so that turned out to be initially a voluntary opportunity and then eventually turned out to be a job for him. And this is a child who who does not speak. So even for children who are in that level three support that I mentioned in the previous episode, we can come up with vocational placements and come up with activities that children will continue to like to do as they grow into adults. In the U.S., we have what is called an IEP, which is an individualized education plan that exists in all public schools that provide services to children with um, disabilities. In India, the system is slightly different. Not many children on the autism spectrum may be in mainstream schools. They might be in what is called a special school. Some children may be in mainstream schools, but depending on whichever school or center or clinic that you're working with, one thing that parents can do is start talking to professionals and start thinking about what are some skills the child can develop over time. Thank you so much for mentioning that how one size doesn't fit all. Similarly, Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. approach cannot be utilized for everybody on the spectrum. As we're discussing more about the adolescents, what are some intervention considerations and priorities for adolescents on the autism spectrum? I would say start with planning and supporting a positive self-esteem. This is the time that children start developing a sense of identity. This is also the time children begin to notice that they are a little different from their peers. 
I think one thing that parents and teachers and professionals like ourselves, what we can do is not emphasizing that they are very different and that they have a disorder or anything, but talking about what they are good at and what they can do and how they can contribute to their society. Every member of this world is and can contribute to our society. So um, how can they contribute to the society? Those kinds of things are what we need to talk about. And we also have a huge role to play in building that positive self-esteem for the child. There are some other areas that might not be quite related to what speech language pathologists might do, but if we are the primary service providers for that family, there are some things that we can encourage families to support themselves on. For example, financial planning, starting a trust fund, for example, for the child, that's a trust fund where there are resources for that child even after or beyond the life of the parents working on adaptive skills, which are skills for daily living, independence in terms of knowing how to use a credit card, knowing how to use cash and collect the right kind of change, knowing how to keep your belongings safe. These are all very simple things, but then they are important things. And then independence in terms of not just independently like eating, but also independently learning to quickly fix a meal for yourself. Like that can even be like a noodles or something that you can just pop in the microwave or you can heat in your stove or pour some hot water in your noodles, simple things like that. Uh, Make your own coffee, make your own sandwich, make your own upma or whatever's easy for the child to learn as they grow into adults. I think that independence can be instilled by the time they are adolescents. Sex education is another important piece, which we might be helpful. What role do we have in sex education as speech language pathologists is helping the child communicate how they feel, is helping the child talk about without fears, talk about their emotions around around habits and around the opposite gender. What is safe sex? What is not safe sex? This is also an important topic to discuss with children, especially as they grow into adolescence and beginning to educate family members as well. I think we have a role to play in all of these situations and there's communication that comes into play, whether it's financial planning, whether it's independent living, whether it's adaptive skills, everywhere we have a role to to play. And as this child grows older, there are four areas that I think are super, super important in emphasizing in our intervention. One is self-advocacy, which is basically a way of us telling other people what we like, what we need, what we don't need, what works for us and what does not work for us. Having an awareness of ourselves and being able to communicate that is very important. There's always fear and anxiety associated with communication for a lot of our adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum, like I mentioned. So anything that we can do to reduce that anxiety and build self-advocacy is something that we can focus on. The second is building social connections. Now, this again will look very different in India and it look different in the U.S. Here in the U.S., there are sleepovers or play dates and things like that for young children, for older children. Sometimes parents have to create these friendships 
whether the child is autistic or not. In India, the children, again, might have relatives, cousins that come and visit often. There might even be families where multiple generations live together. They might have cousins living in the same house. Those are all helpful. So building social connections in the neighborhood, having sleepovers, having any kind of friendship that comes through connections with peers is helpful. Even if it's a video game club that children can be part of, that's also something that children are beginning to enjoy a lot these days. The third area is job or work-related skills, identifying one niche job or one skill that the child might need towards a job, towards a position that he or she might pick up in the future, and how can we support that as speech-language pathologists in collaboration with occupation therapists and other professionals. And finally is the independence, right? Financial independence, independence in terms of living by yourself. In India, the situation might be slightly different. A lot of parents are okay with their children living with themselves, living with them even as adults. And children might be okay with that too. Here, things might be a little different. One needs to start discussing these and what independence means with respect to their own culture and their own family situations. Thank you for talking about all those important topics, Dr. Santanam. I feel like it's important for us to view the patient or the person and child on the spectrum as a whole. Mm -hmm. I understand that we are speech and language and communication experts, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to look at the bigger picture as well. Going off that, I am going to switch gears a bit and discuss autism in adults. We are aware that it is a less researched area and that evidence base is only emerging in this area. Dr. Santanam, you are a pioneer in our field, especially in providing services for adults and developing an evidence base for intervention for them. So what are some of the challenges that autistic adults face? Can you discuss what these may look like specifically in the Indian scenario? Sure. Thanks for talking about the adults in specific. So one of the main challenges that adults on the autism spectrum face is the social isolation, not having people to hang out with, not having people to interact with, especially people with similar interests or people whom they can trust in terms of having friends. So social isolation is one of the main problems. I think I already mentioned mental health issues. There can be challenges with emotional regulation, especially when there is confusion around how to balance priorities. There can be challenges associated with finding jobs, even if it is a volunteering position. How do you find that? How do you keep that? These can be challenging. In the United States, for the most part, children who grow into adults who are verbal, can speak, can read, write, and can pass their high school level standardized tests like the SAT, they usually make it to college or many of them want to go to college, which is a good thing. Colleges might not be the choice for everyone, but many adults on the autism spectrum make it to college. In India, on the other hand, there might be fewer children who grow up into adults who make it to universities or college environments. So even highly verbal, highly bright and advanced readers and advanced writers may not sometimes make it to college and may not go to university because they might not have the options for it. There might not be a university system that supports these individuals 
professors might often not know how to support autistic students in their classroom. So these can be highly challenging, especially for the verbal individuals who are autistic. Now, speaking about the nonverbal or non-speaking individuals on the autism spectrum, their lives look pretty similar whether they grow up in India or they grow up in the United States or elsewhere. Um, the focus has to be on as much independence as possible. And the second thing is um, focus has to be on finding some sort of vocational placement, some job that the child or the adult enjoys doing and enjoys going to every single day. So these are really helpful for parents to start thinking about depending on the ability of their son or daughter on the autism spectrum when they grow into an adult. Now, there is also this in-between category where these individuals might not speak, read, and write the same level in comparison to their non-autistic peers. At the same time, they are not nonverbal or non-speaking. Um, now, that population, again, one needs to identify strengths and try to increase the strengths. Nowadays, with the development of technology, we have options for self-employment. Um, what are some ways that the child can maybe start his or her own business? The person on the autism spectrum can get support from the family. I always encourage parents to start thinking about, do you have an uncle or auntie or a grandparent or you know, relative or sibling or cousin or someone who does or engages in a skill that your son or daughter really enjoy. See if you can send them there for some kind of volunteering, help them learn some skills. And then that skill can be turned into a job in the future. All of these challenges can be reshaped to some extent. As you talked a little bit about how we want to focus on creating independence and how we should emphasize more on the vocational placements. Um, what comes to my mind right now is this show called Love on the Spectrum. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's this beautiful mm. show on Netflix. Mm. It's a reality show and it has like seven adults who are on the autism spectrum. And it paints a picture about how they are embracing their roles as adults and how finding love, dating, friendship, look like for these individuals and it's just a beautiful show um how they're exploring relationships and how the world is so unpredictable and how they are functioning so for those who haven't seen this show just mm -hmm. it's out there it's called love on the spectrum thank you for yeah. sharing that so Dr. Santanam, now that we've spoken about all of these important topics I think it would be nice uh, for our listeners to know more about you can you tell us a bit more about your current work and what kind of services you're providing? What I do here at my university at Metropolitan State University of Denver is we have a small little clinic. We call it the Integrated Supports for Students with Autism in College. We just needed something that fits an acronym, so we have that name. What we do here is we support our own college students at the university who identify as autistic. What these students do is they meet with me and they also meet with a non-autistic peer. And that peer is usually a person from my department who is a student 
And what they get is some clinical practice to engage and interact with an autistic peer. And what the autistic person or autistic student gets is building a sense of community and a social connection within campus. We provide three different types of services right now. One is one-on-one intervention, just individual. And then we also have group conversational, conversational groups every week. And then we have a video gaming group once a week where our autistic and non-autistic students come together to play video games. This is a nice way for them to build a social connection. The other aspect of the program is building an understanding of autism within the university. So I do trainings with faculty in helping them understand more about autism and how to support autistic students in their classroom. We also have trainings that university staff receive and students who are not autistic also receive trainings on um, how they can engage better with a friend or a classmate or colleague who may be on the autism spectrum. We provide academic supports and then we provide supports with communication and building social connections and helping students with managing their time more effectively while in college. These are some supports that we provide. It's a very kind of, how do I put it, non-hierarchical in the sense that our non-autistic students don't always tell our their autistic peers what to do and how to do it, or what to communicate and how to communicate. But rather, it's a more give and take kind of thing. Our non-autistic students learn as much as their peers from each other. So I might have a student in my department who's not on the autism spectrum learn so much from his or her autistic partner. And same thing, the autistic person might learn so much from their peer who's not on the spectrum. I love the idea of the video game. I feel like we've always seen that as a game and using them and it successfully Mm -hmm. into therapy and communication is so amazing. Yeah, it's so much like all our students just love it. I just don't know what I'm playing and how to play. And (laughs) yeah, I always look really confused in those video game groups, but they all just love it. Yeah, that's so amazing. As a graduate student, we also in our in-house clinic had uh, various groups for children on the autism spectrum for -hmm. different age groups. And I was part of two of such groups. One was for kids who were from the age of seven and 12 years. It Mm -hmm. was called as a pragmatics group. And then there was this one for young adults who were like mostly teenagers. It was just so interesting to see like the different topics we would cover. Like Mm. for for the preteens, it was more about like how you want to socialize with peers of your age, peers Mm. of the same gender, things like those. Versus the teenagers, we would go out. It was very functional. So we Mm -hmm. would go out to the malls or maybe a grocery store, have a shopping list, things like those, like real life Mm. situations. Yeah. That sounds amazing. It was a great experience. And we also had two typical children to uh, diversify the group and how 
as you mentioned, the typicals would learn from the children on the spectrum and it would mm-hmm. be the other way around. Yeah, that yeah. always works. Dr. Santanam, as we're ready to wrap up the episode, do you want to share something with the students and the bedding clinicians, especially different ways to learn when it comes to service delivery for adults and adolescents on the spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. So just some general suggestions would be for students all around, doesn't matter where they study, but it's so important to develop critical thinking skills, not just believing what someone says, not just believing what you read in a research article or what a professor or somebody else might say. It's so important to analyze and think for ourselves, go back to our our own reading board and trying to figure out what is it that we understand? How can this be different for the client that we work with? And so really looking at each client or each child or adult that you work with as its own, as his or her own um, entity and not, you know, like, like we already said, not having a model where we use like a one size fits all model. Um, So developing some critical thinking skills is very important. The second thing I think is reading and willing to learn more about populations where we don't know much about. When I was an undergrad, when I had clients on the autism spectrum who are adolescents, um, like even 10-year-olds, I wouldn't even know what to do with them. I would be so frustrated with myself and I would be angry that there would just be no way to know how to support these individuals. So I think one thing that I would definitely recommend for students and early clinicians to do is any population, you know, whether it's autism spectrum or or any other population that a child or adults that you work with, if you don't know how to work with them, or if you need to know more about them, spend time reading and be willing to learn. My professor, Dr. Prakash Bhuminathan, you know, he also spoke in your podcast. I believe he mentioned this to me once. He said, don't focus on the money ever, focus on the learning. The money will just come on its own. And I, I hold on to that words. I don't know if even he remembers it, but I definitely carry it with me wherever I go, because I think that's such valuable piece of advice for me. The third thing I think that goes along with learning is listening to and speaking to your clients, spending time listening to what their preferences are and how therapy is working for them whether they like the therapy you're providing or do they not like it? What do they enjoy about it? I think we don't do that as much. We just go on providing intervention or assessments and we think that we're doing the right thing. In a lot of situations, our our own clients might not even like what we're doing or they might not approve of what we're doing. So we have to let go of that need to be in that position of authority and start listening to our clients a lot. And then getting really good at communication, whether that's spoken or written communication is important. And obviously, I think I discussed the importance of working with families and parents, you know, practicing that compassion is such a great tool for us as speech language pathologists. Thank you. As we bring this episode to an end, I do want to say that I appreciate you so much. And I am so glad uh, we spoke about a topic 
that we believe is extremely important. Kinnery and I have been meaning to find the perfect speaker to speak on the spectrum disorders and we are glad we found you. So thank you so much for your time and for being here with us today. We've enjoyed this discussion so much and we are sure our listeners did as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for for having me and thank you for letting me share my thoughts with you both. I really love how you organize this podcast. You're doing some really important work. And I think the next generation of SLPs, even the current generation of SLPs and audiologists, and perhaps even families and our own clients themselves will listen to all our discussions and hopefully they'll like it. Thank you so much. You both are doing such amazing jobs. So thank you so much for inviting me and and discussing all these important questions. We will be back soon with a new speaker and another exciting topic. Stay tuned to our social media to learn more. Thanks for joining us today. And we are so grateful for all the support we've received and can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Thank you. See you soon.